0: You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. What a great time to kick off this holiday season by being with our faith family. Are you glad to be here this morning? are you ready for christmas season man I, I just want to echo what aaron said right we want the if the if there were airwaves emanating from east point church right, and not just this building if there were airwaves emanating from the people of faith the followers of christ who are meeting in this room right now we want those airwaves to just ring with hope wow wah, wow wah, wah, wah. hope May it emanate from this community for our community. And so how many of you are in a season where you say, I need hope this morning? Okay, how many of you know someone who says, man, they are in need of genuine hope? Then listen, invite them, right? Let's spread this message of hope because this month, this whole month of December is reminding our world that there is a reason for rejoicing, that there is a cause for hope, that there are better days ahead. And it's because of Jesus Christ. And so we're so excited to begin the season of Advent. And so I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 9. We are going to spend this month in the prophet of Isaiah. And as you turn there, as we prepare to, to, to begin this season of hope, my mind is drawn back to a few years ago when I was in need of hope. I was 27 years old. It was around Christmas time, this time of year, and I was experiencing, without a doubt, the darkest season of my life. You see, my wife and I, we had one child, uh, our oldest, Micah, and at that time, we were pregnant with our second child, and so we were excited, and here's going to be another pregnancy, another great birth, and um, at 22 weeks, my wife um, started to bleed, and so she goes into the hospital because she was really concerned. She called me crying. She runs into the hospital. I said, I'll meet you there. I'll wrap up what I'm doing. And basically, she never left the hospital for the rest of that pregnancy. Um, They realized that the position of her placenta, we're getting all intimate with placentas, aren't we? The position of her placenta was in such a way that if her body were to go into labor, she would more than likely die. And so they mandated, you are on bed rest, you're not leaving this hospital, you're not even going to move from this bed if we can help it, and we're just going to hold on for dear life and see how long you can make it. Man, and I, you know, I'm single dad in it at home, I'm trying to be a good dad to my, my two-year-old, but I also don't want to leave my wife alone in a sterile hospital room, and so, you know, we're trying to go back and forth, and every week it was like we were having conversations that you should only have, like, in an ethics class. When you're dealing with hypotheticals, you know, like every week the doctor would come in and give us new stats. All right, well, if your body goes into labor this week, here are the survival rates, here's the the level of um, birth defects, here's the likability of survival, like, and do you want to resuscitate or not? And every week, every week for 11 weeks, we would have to have this ethics level conversation with our, our doctor of what do you want to do if this happens? Because we're going to prioritize your life. And so, man, my wife is a, an amazing, an amazing mom, and she held on, and, and she lived in a hospital room. Like, I remember we decorated, you like all your Christmas decorations? I'll never forget the Christmas where we decorated the hospital room just to give her a sense of home while she held on for dear life for our child. And so, you know, 11 weeks of bed rest, and finally we got to a point where the doctor said, hey, we're, 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 we're starting to see some things we don't like. You're already at a season. I think the baby can survive, and so... At 32 and a half weeks, our second child was born, and I held the tiniest human being. Oh man, woof! I held the tiniest human being I'd ever seen in my life in the palms of my hands, and I'm thinking, "Yes, we're out of the woods." And it's like, "No, you're now into the next journey because you're going to be in the hospital for another four weeks because now we're fighting for his life, right?" And so they move us out of the L and D wing, and now we're in the NICU wing, and. Man, that was a season of heaviness. This week, as I recalled this story and just you know looking through old photos, because you don't revisit this, this story very often, right? And so I'm going back and I and I wrote down some of the words that I felt from my journal entries. Uh, I was in pain. It was a very very uncomfortable season, trying to be a good dad and a good husband and while pastoring and being a good friend and a lot of fear. A lot of fear when you're dealing with survival statistics and rates. That was just, I'd never experienced anything like that in my life. Um, the unknown, feeling helpless, any any like achievers in the room and you just, you love having two firm hands on the wheels and you, I know exactly what I'm doing. I had no idea what I was doing. And no matter how hard I worked, no matter what I can think of, I couldn't do anything. It felt helpless, right? And so, it was one of those seasons where, let me just say it this way, the clouds were very gray, the darkness was very thick, and what I've noticed in, in this season, and I'm sure you guys have been here too, where people who mean well, they want to they encourage you, and they want to say kind things, and they want to hang in there, you know, and, and, and it's great, we need to do that, but have you ever been in a season of darkness where all of those well wishes just ring hollow, you know what I mean, and... And all of the encouraging things people said, you were just like, I don't believe it, right? And the idea that things will get better, the idea that better days would come, it just feels like wishful thinking. And you just want to tell everybody, shh, I don't believe you. Have you ever been in a season of darkness like this? Have you ever been in a season of life where you just thought to yourself, there's no way I will ever see the sun again. I can't even imagine things turning around. I can't imagine this situation ever getting better. And so my question is, when you're in that season, where do you turn to for hope? When you're in that season, how do you discern the difference between wishful thinking and genuine hope for better days? Where do you turn to for hope? For a few moments this morning, I want us to tune in to a time of darkness in the history of the people of God. We're going to see a time in their life where the, th- where the darkness was thick, where the gloom was heavy, where they were feeling pain, fear, and helplessness. But as we listen, to this message. As we tune into their story, we see that a prophet arises. A messenger comes forward and he has a message for them. And it's not trite. They're not empty words or holiday cliches because this prophet has a message for them from God. And as we listen to the message of hope that he offers them, I think we might find hope for our situations. I think that we'll see That God's promises are not empty and trite, but they are always yes and amen. So for a few moments, would you join me in Isaiah 9? Are you with me? Can we see the message of hope this morning? Let's dive in. We're going to start in verse 1. This is God's word for East Point Church. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the spoil. Let's pause right there. The first thing the prophet says this morning, those who walk in darkness will dance in the light. Those who are presently walking in darkness will one day dance in the light. And so I told you about my story. I gave you the history of what I was going through, but here's the history of Israel. Here is the dark cloud of gloom that has cast a dark shadow on the people of God. We're going back in time, and I'm just telling you, this is not a good time to visit Israel. I know some of you are world travelers, you like to trap. This is not a good time to be in Israel. You see, King David, he established an empire, right? Like the nation of Israel was united, they were respected by all the nations, but within a hundred years, this, this magnificent kingdom was divided into two. And so we have the northern kingdom of Israel. And the southern kingdom of Judah, right? They were divided. They were warring against each other, civil war. Well, it gets worse, right? The northern tribe of Israel, they receive a message that their sins have finally caught up with them. And so years of ignoring God, years of their sin, of idolatry, of sacrificing children, of oppression of the poor, of injustice, years of their sins have finally caught up to them. And God has said enough is enough. And we see, if you go back one chapter in chapter 8, we see that the global superpower Assyria to the northeast of Israel is on the war path for Israel. Go back and read chapter 8. The global superpower Assyria is now marching along the way of the sea and it is coming straight for the northern kingdom of Israel. And the regions of Zebulun, and Naphtali in the region of the Galilee, those will be the first regions that are hit. Those are the first towns that will be decimated by this war. And this nation that has just been uh, uh, admired by all the other nations, when the, by the time Assyria is done with them, they will be brought into contempt. The destruction will be so thorough that all the other nations will look and go, pfft. Not so high and mighty now, are we? Can you imagine being there and in the, in, in hearing this message? Can you imagine the heaviness, right the gloom I, I love the word here so it uses anguish, the emotional pain after they just read that email, after they just opened up that message and it said, "Assyria is coming and will wreck you." and the heaviness that they feel, the pain of an invading army. And I think what makes it even worse is that it's not just pain, but added on the pain of the circumstance is the reality that as they sit there, they think to themselves, we've brought this on ourselves. We have no one to blame but ourselves. And so to their pain, we have the regret and the shame and the embarrassment and the guilt. Thick clouds of gloom. Welcome to Israel. The land where people are walking in darkness. The place where people are dwelling in a land of deep darkness. Has anybody ever walked in the darkness? Has anybody ever been in a season of life where you look around and, you, and the shadow is, it's deep darkness. Right? We, we know what, what, what kind of clouds a fractured marriage can cast on life, right? estranged friendships, wandering children. We know how how the darkness is thick, right? When that diagnosis just looms and and casts its shadow over every other part of our life or when our careers are uncertain and we don't know what to do and there's fear of the unknown. Man, you lose a loved one. Thick darkness. And so I take you to the days of their darkness, not so that we can dwell there, not so that we can, can feel their pain. I'm, I'm painting a picture of their darkness, not so that we dwell there, but so that we can appreciate just how bright the hope is. Because they're not going to stay in their darkness. This is the point of the message. The prophet arises and he makes it clear. I know you're experiencing darkness. I know you're in gloom. I know what's coming. But hear ye, hear ye, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Hear ye, hear ye, I know what's in the present. But I am looking forward down the prophetic road to a day that it will not be so. Better days are coming, he said. He says, what you're experiencing right now, I know it's hard to imagine, but one day, what you're experiencing now will be referred to as the former time. And it will give way to the latter time. There will be no gloom. The regions that are decimated by the Assyrian warpath presently in darkness, guess what? Those lands will be visited by a great light. Those people who are living in ruins, those, those people who are still, the, the smoke from the burning buildings, it's still in their nostrils. Those people in darkness, on them a light will shine, and I know it's hard to imagine. But in that day, the people who walked in gloom, it will be said of them, he has made glorious the way of the sea. I know all you see now is ruins. I know all you see now is shattered and broken dreams. I know all you feel now is hopelessness and darkness. But a day is coming where those exact places will be seen as glorious. Their gloom will evaporate and they will be dancing with joy. And all of us said, yeah, right. <laughs> well, well, it's just wishful thinking, right? Well-intended, well-wishes. No, this is a prophet of God. He says, I didn't just download some trite sayings from Chat GPT. I didn't just find the cheapest card I found at a Hallmark. The offer of hope that I'm giving you is real. He goes, I'm telling you. I know it's hard to imagine, but right now, you who are weeping, you who are eating your tears for breakfast, there's a day coming where you will rejoice with joy. You will dance in the light, and he says, Your joy will be so exuberant that you will look like those who are dancing because they just had a monster harvest. And all the farmers in the room said, Amen, right? When you see that harvest come in and they throw a big feast because they go, We're gonna eat for another year. Thank you, Lord. And they throw a feast and they rejoice. He goes, That'll be you. He goes, You're gonna rejoice, like those women who who their, their sons and husbands are off to war. And because they didn't have Twitter yet and cell phones and satellites, every day they would look outside to go, is anybody coming back? What a crazy thought, right? Like, are we send our people off to war and we have no idea if we'll ever see them again. And oh, by the way, if we do see some people coming, we don't know if it's time to run because it's the invading army or if we were victorious, right? And so imagine, imagine a lady and her children looking over the horizon and they see somebody walking back. They go, hey, somebody's coming. And all they see is that little dot gets bigger. All they see is, it's dad! and they run, and they're whooping and whooping and hollering, and they go, we've won the war, and they, do, and they, not only do they win the war, they're coming back, and they go, we routed them, and they come back, and they're rejoicing. That'll be you. That'll be you when the light shines so bright in your life. You who right now can't even imagine days of light because of your darkness being so thick, you will rejoice as if as at the harvest, you will rejoice as if they divide the spoils. I know it's hard to imagine, but those who walk in darkness will dance in the light at the latter times when gloom becomes gladness. And so let me say this to you. If you're here this morning and you need hope, better days are coming. There's real hope. Things can get better. The darkness will not last forever. The clouds of thick gray will evaporate when the light shines. This is not a well-intended cliche. This is not a false enthusiasm. There is real hope for them and for us because something concrete is coming. You see, the prophet is hanging his promise of hope. He is hanging his hat on on a real event that will come. You see, when the light shines, here's what he says. He goes, the light that is going to shine in Galilee will be so bright that not only will it provide hope for Galilee, it will provide hope for the whole world. The light that is coming to Galilee, will shine and radiate joy and hope for the nations. And so even as he prophesies, he calls Galilee, he says, Galilee of the nations, the source of hope, the bedrock of joy. You who are in darkness will not only have joy, you will be the source of joy for the nations because something is coming. And so what's coming? What will transform their situations? What will transform the nation's uh, situations? it's not a what is it it's a who look what he says for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of midian for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire huzzah who loves a good poem right some of you are like very literal and you're like, what are we talking about blood for? Let me break it down for you. here's what this poetry, here's what this this poem is saying. Those enslaved in pain will stand in peace. A picture's worth a thousand words, isn't it? And so I could have just said, the prophet could have just said, they're going to experience exile, period. That's literally what they're going to experience. They're going to be in captivity, period. But words don't do it justice. Like That's going to transform their whole existence and being. And so he doesn't just say it. He paints a picture for us. And as he writes, we can feel the weight of a wooden yoke, a splintery wooden yoke put on the necks of human beings as they're marched like beasts of burden across the continent to Assyria. So we feel the weight of the yoke we can hear the, the thud of a rod or a staff hitting flesh and breaking a shoulder as they are beaten like slaves all the way my little kids they have those like light up lightsabers you know and every once in a while you just hear a, right and you just like and they just you can just tell when something thin whizzes through the air and and we can hear the whiz as they whip the 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 slaves and the rod just whizzes and thwacks through the air. And we, hear, we, we feel the depth of their darkness. We feel the weight of their captivity. These people are oppressed. This is not an inconvenience. This is not they're going to have a bad week. This is darkness. They're in bondage. But the vivid picture of their pain serves to highlight the greatness of their freedom. Because, yes, you felt the yoke, but in the very next verse, we hear the crack as the wooden yoke splinters and is broken in half. That's so where it's broken. We can imagine the staff just shattering into a million pieces, broken and never to hurt someone again. We can imagine the rod being snapped over somebody's knee and being thrown to the ground. There is freedom that is coming because these objects of oppression and bondage have been broken. And how were they broken? The prophet looks up and he says, For you've broken it. For you have broken it. For you have set me free. Days of oppression, their days of darkness will become freedom and peace because God himself is going to step in and transform their situation. The source of their hope is the fact that God himself will deliver them just as he did in the days of Midian. Ooh, you're like, yes, who's Midian, <laughs> right? How many, do I have any history buffs in the room? Come on. Right? And you're like, I'm not gonna try to show off, but uh, yeah, how many of you enjoy history? All right, it's gonna be a long sermon. There's three of us. Let me explain how this works. <laughs> so, a history buff, maybe like one of your dads who like, collects books about submarines in World War II, okay? That's a stereotype, but it's true. Um, a history buff will not only tell you the dates and the generals' names and the timelines, like, they, they know all the details for sure, but here's the difference, right? Here's what makes a history buff a real history buff. They can tell you the significance of those battles. They can tell you the meanings of those wars. Not just what happened, but here's what that battle meant to the heart of our nation. Here's what that war meant for the soul of America. Here's the significance of that battle in the world's landscape. And so they know the what, but they know the why. Here's what we think of every time we think of the American Revolution. Freedom and liberty, right? Here's what we think of when we think of World War II. It's, it's we are going against the oppressors, right? And all these kind of things. So all the history buffs in ancient Israel, when they hear the Battle of Midian, here, I'll help you remember it this way. Gideon and Midian. Let's say it together. I think it'll be therapeutic. Gideon and Midian just rolls off the tongue, okay? And so the Battle of Gideon and Midian, here's what they remember. They remember a guy who was hopelessly outnumbered the odds stacked against him A tiny army against a much larger army. And in that battle, they learned that no matter if if the odds are stacked against you, no matter if you are hopelessly outnumbered, when God is on your side, victory is guaranteed. In that battle, they learned that though it seems hopeless, if God is for us, who can be against us? And this tiny little uh, army defeated a larger one. And so what the prophet is saying to Israel, what the prophet is saying to you is, I know your situation may seem hopeless. I know you seem outnumbered. I know it feels like the odds are stacked against you. I know it feels like there's no way to possibly win, just like Gideon. But God will deliver you, just like he did in Midian, just like he did there. Hope is alive. Your pain will give way to peace. Your captivity will give way to freedom. And this peace will be so complete that you know what we're going to do? We're going to burn some things. (laughs) You're like, what? Yeah, we're going to burn some things. We're going to get a burning barrel. We're going to burn some things. You know what we're going to burn? Look what he says. He says, on that day, the warrior's garment and the warrior's boot will be burned as fuel for the fire. You know what they're doing here? They're going to do the exact same thing that the citizens of Cleveland, Ohio did in 2018. Any NBA fans here? Remember when LeBron James, remember when he made the decision to take his talents to Miami Beach? Do you know what the the respectable citizens of Ohio did when LeBron James said he was leaving them? They said, have a nice life, LeBron. Best of luck in all your endeavors. No, they didn't. They had a burning party. The city literally organized an event and said, bring your LeBron James jerseys, and we are burning them. That's how bitter they were, right? (laughs) They got all their jerseys out of their closet, and they burned them as if to say, well, I guess we won't be needing these anymore. Friends, on that day, everybody's going to go into their closets, and they're going to grab their war uniforms. They're going to grab their battle armor. They're going to grab their boots, all of the things that they needed for conflict. And he says, we're going to burn them, as if to say, I guess we won't be needing these anymore. There is a day coming where they won't need their uniforms. There's a day coming where they won't need their boots, because God will establish a reign of peace. Do you need, do you have hope this morning for peace Do you long for freedom when God arrives? Pain will give way to peace. Darkness will give way to light. Captivity will give way to freedom. Now, obviously, we're not in literal slavery, right? We get that. We have never been a victim to the Assyrian warpath. We have never put on the shackles of the wooden yoke on our necks and ankles. I get it. And yet, there's something here about this message for this specific people that transfers to us. You see, the Bible tells us that our primary problem is sin. And what I see here, when I look at their specific situation, when I think about their specific particular captivity, I can't help but see a metaphor for my problem. You see, all of us, every single person in this room, man, woman, old, young, we were all born slaves to sin. not that crazy? Not like slightly affected with sin, not like you have a little bit of a cold, take some vitamin C for your sin, we are shackled to sin. Look what he says, Paul, in Romans 6, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have been set free from sin. The biggest problem that we face as human beings is not a need for education. It's not that we need some more manners. It's not that we need to be a little bit more refined or cultured. We're slaves. And every part of our existence is tainted by sin. The, cloud, the thick cloud of darkness over our lives is sin. And it affects my words and my thoughts and my mind and my actions and my decisions and, oh man, my relationships. Every single one of us in this room, we are a contributor to the brokenness of this world through sin. And at the exact same time, every single one of us is a victim of the brokenness and the sin of this world. We do sin. We're hurt by sin. All of us. We we can almost feel society itself just, just like groaning under the weight and burden and brokenness of sin. This is our problem. Paul goes on to say in Romans 7, how many of you have been here? For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. (laughs) You're like, yeah, it's called Tuesday for me, right? (laughs) I want to do this, I don't do it. I don't want to do this, I do it. It's called sin, and here's my point, guys. Just as the prophet tells them that the key to their literal slavery, the key to their freedom is the intervention of God, so too for us, this is the key for our freedom our only hope for freedom, our only hope from the slavery of sin is that God himself would show up, that God himself would arrive arrive and break the yoke, snap the rod, and shatter the oppressor's whip. So where is he? Where is he? We are not just spectators of this hope. We want to receive it as our own. Where is the one who is stronger than the taskmaster? Where is the one who is brighter than the darkness? Where is he? When will he arrive? And so the prophet, still looking ahead to the latter times, still looking down the prophetic road to the future hope, he looks to the day of God's arrival, and look what he sees. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. In need of hope will be given the Son. He looks down the road at the future arrival of God and he sees a gift. And as he unwraps the gift, as he unwraps God's gift to humanity, he sees a baby. (laughs) What? What a startling image, right? Like if I'm in need of hope, I'm hoping that God sent a sword. God, you have hope for me. What do you got? It's a sword. It's a chariot. It's fireballs, right? Like, give me something. What is the source of my hope? And we unwrap it, and we see that a child is born. That God's deliverance comes in the shape of a son. His plan to bring light into the darkness, his plan to transform our pain into peace, is an infant. God's gift to a beleaguered world is a child. That's so like God, isn't it? Let's do something that will blow your mind so that way in the end only I can get the glory. Here's my plan to save the world. A baby. Such an unexpected image, but here's the key. that The key is not the baby, it's what the baby will become. See, the Lord gives a child knowing that he will not remain a child forever. This child will grow up and become a king. He will grow up and he will put the leadership of the world, he will put the government on his back, he will carry it on his shoulder, and he will establish a new kingdom that is marked by peace, justice, and righteousness. This is a leader who will establish a new way of being. There's a new operating system for life. There's a new culture that we humans, sinful, broken humans, can experience even on this planet, and yes, even more to come. He's going to establish a kingdom, and in his kingdom, darkness gives way to light. Pain gives way to peace. Oppression gives way to freedom. And friends, this this, this peace will not just last for one term. This is not just like a candidate's offer that maybe, met best yet, we can get eight years out of him. No, no, no. When this king sets up shop, there will be no end to his rule. There will be no end to the peace and to the light and to the freedom of his kingdom, for he will reign forever and ever and ever. I know Israel needed hope of better days, but does anybody long for this kind of kingdom? Oh, Is anyone else tired of the brokenness of the operating system of our world? It's like every month you look around and there's just another demonstration of just how it's not working. The operating system of this world does not work it's gross, and we see the selfishness, and the ambition, and the, and the oppression, and the injustice, and we see the, the greed, and just everything in this world, and, and we might be tempted for a moment to think that maybe our hope is a better candidate, or maybe our hope is a new alliance, or no, maybe our hope is a better economic system, or wait, no, maybe our hope is this paradigm, or this mode of thinking, and when the king comes, whew, he blows that all away like a candle in the wind, And he goes, here's what the real hope is. A king who will reign and establish these things forever. I want a new operating system. And all of their longing, all of our hope, all of our dreams are wrapped in this new king, the son that is given. And do you know what his name is going to be? Should we have a little like name party? right? What should we name him? He goes, here, I'll tell you what to name him. His name shall be called. In other words, the essence of his leadership, what he will be known for as his ruler. Let me say it this way. What people who follow this king will experience is, they will experience him as wonderful counselor. Does anybody need some good advice this morning? How many of you have a good friend that you say, man, I can really go to my friend and get some really solid wisdom and advice. How many of you have a friend like that? Okay, that's nice. But let me tell you this, your friend is lame sauce compared to the wisdom of our God. I don't mean to offend you, but the best wisdom of this world will be like nothing when compared to the wisdom that comes from the mouth of the wonderful counselor. He is so wise and he knows all of the nuances and the complexities of life and its situations. And you come to him and you have direction and you get it. And you're like, man, it's almost as if he designed life itself and knows how it's supposed to work. We can experience this wonderful counselor. He shall be called. Mighty God. This is not a puppet king who's powerless. He's not a king in name only. He's a king who is so strong, who is so decisive, who is so mighty that his very presence is a reminder that our God that we serve commands the armies of heaven. This is a reminder. His very presence is a symbol of the presence of our God who commands the the. the Angels of heaven, by the legion, who speaks the very galaxies into existence. He's a mighty God. It says here that his name shall be called Everlasting Father. I love that mighty God and everlasting Father are right next to each other. Imagine your dad is the most powerful man on the planet, right? General upon general upon general of the highest military branch and the highest government of the world, right? And you see him. Give a mighty speech on television, and then the next day you see him eating breakfast and his slippers at your kitchen table. You're like, what? You're sitting with the general? Yeah, he's my dad. And the God who commands the armies of heaven also calls you child. And in his kingdom, you can experience him as a father, a tender hearted, kind servant leader. Oh, can't the world use a father? Right, that's why even the men in our church, right? we, we want to be men who lead our families. We want to be men who love our wives and our children. There's, there is a part of our culture at East Point and just in the kingdom of God where as men, we want to be good fathers. And yet we know that the best dads among us are just but shadows that point back to the ultimate father in heaven who fathers us. He shall be called Everlasting Father and then he shall be called Prince Of peace on his watch, peace wins the day. It's the air we breathe. (sighs) Peace. How many of you have those diffusers with the oils? You put the oils and thing. You have those. How many of you have peppermint? Any peppermint fan? I'm all about the peppermint, man. I love me some peppermint. I walk into a room and it's just like, and it's just like there's like licking the air. There's peppermint. In the air, it's just there, right? It's like, it's not just like a little dab of peppermint. It's the very air I breathe. I'm gonna get like seven diffusers for Christmas now from the church. Thank you, but I have plenty, all right? He goes, in that day, peace is gonna be in the air. No more war, no more conflict, no more turmoil. On his watch, peace wins the day. The storms around us, And the storms within us, shh, it's the prince of peace. This is God's plan. A child who will reign, a king who will be called, all of these things. And I don't know how you organize your to-do lists. I I tend to have a couple of to-do lists, right? I have like my priorities. These have to happen by the end of the week. And then how many of you have that list that's like, it'll be nice if I get there eventually? Right? And so, you're like, that's the only list I have. I'm like, you need another list, buddy. All right? And so you have your priorities, and then you have your, like, that would be nice. And, you know, sometimes I put things on my, that would be nice, and they're there for one, two, three years, you know. And they just stay there. God has a plan, which we just shared. Which list do you think this is on? Which list do you think it's on? This is a priority. This is not on God's, well, maybe one day we'll we'll get there and give the world hope if, if I get around to it, you know. This is on his top priority list. Look what it says. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In his zeal, in his enthusiasm, he is excited about this plan. He wants to bring hope to the nations. He wants to release the captives. He wants to evaporate the darkness with the great light. And this is a plan that he has set in motion before the foundations of the earth. And when God himself thinks about this plan, he fist pumps This gets God pumped in his zeal. You can bank on it, because he's going to do it. He's going to do it. It's a guaranteed promise, not wishful thinking. This is in his plan. The hope of the world is the child who will reign. The hope of the world is the child who will reign. That's the message of the prophet. And so eventually, as time goes, eventually the former times do give way to latter times. Eventually the baby that was promised comes and he's present and a baby is born and his name is Jesus, God's gift to the world. And he seemed insignificant. It seems like a little too late and not enough all at the same time. But just as the prophet promised this son was the hope of the world because the sun would rise up, he would grow up and he would become a king. A king who brings light to the darkness. A king who brings freedom to those who are oppressed. A king who brings peace to those who are in pain. In Jesus Christ, God himself is intervening in the world. And so all of you who need hope, all of you who need something more than a Hallmark card, all of you who need more than just a trite cliche, here it is, Put your hope in the king. Find your hope in Jesus. Come to the child who will reign and experience him as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. So here's a fun fact. Jesus hired a U-Haul truck. His family moved. Did you know that? His family moved And he moved into a region called Galilee, the same exact region where hundreds of years before this Syrian warpath came through and decimated those towns. The very lands that were dwelling in ruin and darkness, the very region that was decimated by war, guess what? Jesus lived there. And every time Jesus, I just imagine him, every time he took a walk in his backyard, every time Jesus walked the dog, every time he walked to the mailbox, every time Jesus took a stroll on the sands of the Sea of Galilee, everywhere that his foot set was the fulfillment of the promise that those who dwell in darkness would one day have a bright light. Matthew 4 made the connection. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the te- territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them the light has shone. And the light that lived in Galilee was so bright. That not only was he the hope of Israel, he's the hope of the world. He's your hope, and he's my hope. And so put your hope in the child who will reign, for this is the hope of the world. Father in heaven, we love you, God. We're very aware of the darkness of our world. We're aware of the darkness of our situations. We're aware of the gloom. And yet this morning, Father in heaven, we dare to believe that there's real hope with you. We dare to believe that when we come to you, we will not be disappointed, but that you will transform our situation. You will rescue us from our slavery to sin. You will rescue us from our addiction to self and our vices. You will rescue us from the darkness. Because in your kingdom, we will experience you as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Lord, I pray that today and for the rest of this month, that hope would emanate. That hope would be alive. That people would find their way as they put their faith in you. We love you, loving God, in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us in what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.